Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Benjamin May McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and joining me on the show today is Andrew Hansen. Now, Andrew's been a member of the Chaser team for a very, very long time, and he talks about the history of the Chaser, as well as their brand new show, The Chaser's Media Circus. And then I give my uh, usual reviews, but first, here's my interview with Andrew Hansen. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I mean, uh, you know, I love being interviewed on Skype. <laughs> so, uh, how would you define your style of comedy? Um, well, I think it depends. You know, I do a different, couple of different kinds of things in my comedy. It's a weird mixture of silly absurdity and you know characters with silly wigs and voices, and uh, which is more the sort of old-fashioned stuff I do, which kind of you know sketches and songs. Um, but then some of the other stuff I do is is topical stuff and making fun of current events and doing clip review packages and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's a funny mixture of the two, which, which is kind of what, uh, you know, it's a bit like what Sean McAuliffe is doing on his show, Mad as Hell. I mean, he, he does a mixture of those two things as well, although he, he leans more towards the old-fashioned absurd stuff. Um, whereas I, I think most of my stuff with The Chaser leans more towards your kind of... Uh, you know, commenting on uh, clips from the news and, and what's going on in the world and that kind of thing. Um, the one that my heart's really in is the old-fashioned stuff. You know, I, I, I love playing silly characters and um, and doing stupid songs and that. I, I see myself as, as just a silly song and dance man. Um, that, that's what I really enjoy doing the most. But I suppose with The Chaser, we found ourselves in this kind of funny position where there's a bit of a gap in the market in Australia anyway for people who are doing the other kind of comedy which is which is where it's very topical and and often about politics and there aren't too many other people who are doing it and and I don't think anyone's doing it in the same way that we're doing it where you you really engage with the reality of what's going on and and go into a bit of analysis on how stories unfold in the news, you know, and, and construct sometimes longer comedy pieces, kind of kind of tracking the way that the news is made. Um, so because, you know, I, I'm not sure that we're very good at doing it necessarily, but luckily no one else seems to be doing it. So, so we seem to have a bit of an in there, um, which is important when you're a comedian. You've got to find, you know, something that other people aren't doing, otherwise you, you're unemployed. Which I am most of the time, I should say. <laughs> well, uh, who inspired you to become a comedian? Lots of people, lots. And, and I never really... I don't know if I was inspired to become a comedian. I think it was just the last resort when I found I was a failure at everything else I'd attempted. Uh, you know, so I kind of... It's not as if I used to dream of being a comedian, necessarily. Even now, I'm not sure that, I, that I'm actually doing what I should be doing with my life. Uh, but it's probably too late to change. I'm not sure I'll be able to be- become a, an AFL player at this stage. I don't know. I mean, I grew up mostly watching... When I was a kid, I mean, I think it was, I, I think I, I got into the goodies when I was very, very young. Um, it was often seen as a kid's show, and uh, it was you know, it was played at a kid's hour when I was growing up. It was, it was kind of on at 5.30 in the afternoon or something on TV. And um, so I was, I was with my friends 
pretending to be the goodies in kindergarten. I mean, it was as young as that. And I don't know, I don't know if I sort of thought of it as comedy back then. I certainly found it funny. And I found, the, I found their show funny. And I still find their show very, very funny, even today. Uh, <laughs> which shows how little I've progressed. People, you know, my, my critics do often tell me to grow up. And uh, <laughs> that's the most common insult I seem to get. Grow up! You know, um, who wants to grow up, for God's sake? What a terrible thing to do. But, um, you know, so that was the earliest one. But then I think when, when I first really became conscious of of comedy as a genre, I think it was when I was 10, and uh, that's when uh, I was shown Monty Python, thanks to uh, <clears throat> one of my family members, who was a fair bit older than me, and introduced me to Python, and that that kind of, you know, that, that really opened my eyes to a whole world of stuff. Um, and then through high school, I found myself really into watching comedy shows that nobody else seemed to be watching. Um, and I, I managed to introduce some of my friends to some of that stuff. Um, you know, thing, things like, uh, well, the young ones, I mean, that, that had, I was kind of watching old videotapes of the young ones because that, that, that was when I was a bit too young to understand the young ones. So I kind of, I was a bit late to get to that, but I got to it in high school. And, and I was watching, I was devouring Blackadder and <clears throat> watching it over and over again and picking up... Uh, V, you know, finding sort of VHS tapes of Billy Connolly doing stand-up, um, which I just adored. And, you know, I watched those things to death. Um, so that, that was my earliest in, you know. But, and then I tried to be a musician. You know, it wasn't like I, I thought, I, I want to do this myself. I was, I, you know, I loved it. But um, it wasn't necessarily something I, I yearned to do. Um, I've tried to be a musician for a while. And... Uh, you know, kind of got uh, got nowhere. To it. it was horrible. I mean, just you know, playing these money losing gigs night after night in places where both the patrons and the staff seem to hate my band. You know, they <laughs> couldn't get rid of us quickly enough. Um, and then somehow, sort of accidentally, fell into comedy after I yeah after I found I wasn't very good at anything else. So once you've fallen into comedy, how did the chaser come about? That was a. It was a humorous newspaper. I say humorous because I'm not sure it was funny enough to be called a comedy newspaper. It was a kind of fairly lame um, fist take of a newspaper. Yeah, it was a it was a pretend newspaper that Charles Firth had started, and Charles, who uh, who used to be, you know, counted among the, the sort of main lineup of the Chaser. Nowadays, he's He's sort of still slightly involved at a, at a company level, you know, just kind of on paper, Charles, but he's, he's stopped having any creative involvement um, uh, in, in what the chaser does because he, he kind of lost interest and started doing other things, um, especially after he moved to New York, you know. Um, but it was Charles who, who started the newspaper and, uh, and who I still work with on various silly projects today, uh, here and there, whenever I can, because I love working with Charles. He's... I, he, God, he makes me laugh. He's one of the funniest people I know. Um, so he he cranked up this newspaper after shortly after we'd left university. Um, I think because Charles had had such a good time as an editor of the student newspaper at uni, um, he was so thrilled to be editing that, and and he thought, you know, he was convinced that it was the most read, most talked about newspaper on earth. Really, you know, he, like to him, it was it was kind of like the 
the private eye or even the New York Times of, of its day. Um, and then Craig Rucastle and I edited the student paper the, the year after Charles had. So, you know, some of us had sort of mucked around with student newspapers at uni. Um, Dom Knight had as well, and Chaz Lichardello, you know, writing for them. And, and then Charles is very good at getting people together. So he assembled this, this enormous team of writers to be writing for the Chaser newspaper. Um, it, it kept losing money because nobody would distribute it. Um, you know, we'd find, because the, the front pages were so offensive. I mean, I know, I know, you know, in our TV careers, we've occasionally had a, a controversy or, a, you know, a beat-up, really, uh, you know, sort of media beat-up that, that we've supposedly said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing. But, gee, I mean, back when the Chester newspaper was around, it, it really was saying the wrong thing. I mean, horrendously off-colour jokes, um, <clears throat> which some of us found to be, I mean, I think even within the writers of the newspaper, there was disagreement over whether to whether to put some of those jokes to print or not. And and so understandably, you know, so, some of the... It, we kept having to find a new distributor because almost every issue, whichever company was distributing the newspaper, would ring up Charles and say, this is appalling. We, we refuse to distribute this newspaper any longer. And so almost once per issue, poor old Charles had to find somebody else to put the, put the thing in, in the shops. Uh, you know, and, and in the end, the, the thing just lost so much money that it was no longer worth doing. <laughs> <laughs> so how did how did the chaser evolve from a newspaper losing money to the uh, to the successful shows? <laughs> well, I wonder. I, I think maybe some of our shows lose money too. I don't know, but uh, well, certainly the theatre that we're running now. <laughs> that, that's a bit of a crazy venture. But no, I think the, the turning point was was when Andrew Denton. Um, for some reason, was subscribing to the Chaser newspaper, and he came along to one of the parties. You know, to because the newspaper used to have a party every so often, um, kind of to say a thank you to the readers and that sort of thing. And Andrew had came come along to one of those parties, and um, you know, I think when he watched some of the silly presentations that some of us did at those parties because we'd, we'd get up and do stupid PowerPoint presentations to explain our business model. Um, but, you know, we do it as a comedy piece with, with silly slides and ridiculous graphs. And I think he, you know, he, you know, he sort of took an interest in the group and then um, just out of the blue asked the, the main editors of the newspaper, and I wasn't one of those, um, you know, whether they wanted to do a TV show. And, and so they did, you know, that, that's, what, that's when they made their first TV series, which was called The Election Chaser. <clears throat> and I had nothing to do with that. At the time, I was still trying to be a musician. I mean, <laughs> I was still playing to four people in a pub who then turned out to be the other band on that night. <laughs> so that, that was the beginning, really. Um, and I, oh, there was a bit of radio, too. Um, Mike Carlton, the radio presenter... Uh, he asked some of the guys in to do sketches on his radio show. Uh, so that, that was a little bit of practice in that arena as well. Uh, and, and, and some of us had done quite a bit of student theatre. I mean, I'd, I'd done a lot of student theatre as well. And so, uh, you know, and I had, I had landed a gig quite a few, year, you know, a few years before the Chasers TV stuff writing for this comedy sketch show, uh, a pilot. It was just a pilot for Channel 10. 
and it was a thing that was being produced by Morris Murphy, um, <clears throat> you know, who'd had a, a huge hit with the Norman Gunston show. Uh, so I was pretty excited you know, to be working with Morris Murphy and um, uh, and a, a couple of couple of times Graham Bond wandered into the office, which seemed very exciting to me as well. Um, but that show didn't really work. Um, you know, it was it was a show called Sixty Seconds, and the idea was that every sketch would be exactly sixty seconds in duration, which sounds like a good hook until you actually try and make that show, because <laughs> you realise then, oh, well, comedy sketches have their own natural duration and they have their own rhythm, and trying to make one that's exactly sixty seconds, it just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't <laughs> the, the, the timing is all over the shop. Um, and aside from that, I, I you know I think also the problem there was. It was one of those shows that had so many writers that the show didn't have a, a, a comic voice. It didn't have a firm voice. It didn't have a, a place that it was coming from. Um, I think you get that when when there are you know twenty or thirty writers, you know, all, all chipping in on a show. It, it becomes it loses focus. So anyway, you know that pilot didn't get picked up, um, but that had been my first TV gig, and then. Um, a few years later, yeah, you know, the chaser made the election chaser, and then uh, weirdly, they they just, they asked me if I wanted to join them for the following series, CNN and N, mostly because they kind of felt that, um, you know, I I might have had a few the chops as a performer because I could do music and um, I could play silly characters as well, which which I suppose in the rest of the group. Is something Chris Taylor can certainly do. The other guys aren't that interested in that side of performing. Um, yeah, so one day, you know, I, I kind of stopped doing anything really. I had I had absolutely nothing on my plate because you know my band was a flop. We'd never got a record deal, and I was I didn't know what to do with myself, and I I was working odd jobs, um, and then you know, I was kind of sitting around, um, feeling quite miserable. And it was lucky at the time that I was as miserable as I was because uh, Andrew Denton rang me up and said, "Oh, look, um, yeah, the other the other guys are here from the election chaser, you know, and they, they they were all friends of mine through either through going to uni with them and and doing <coughs> sketch shows at uni together, uh, or just from uh, knowing them through the chaser newspaper." And Andrew said, uh, "Look." Uh, they, they're interested in maybe getting you to work on the new series in some capacity. And he suggested that, you know, I might be able to be on some sort of small retainer as a, as a satellite writer for the show. And he said, you know, maybe we will put you on, you can write a few scripts and we'll see how you go. Um, and, you know, I'll offer you this, this fee, which was very small. <clears throat> and uh, luckily at the time I, I was so miserable and, and had no prospects so, so I actually said no. I actually said, oh, no, that, that, I'm not interested in doing that. I, uh, look, uh, yeah, I said, unless I'm a fully-fledged member of the group as a writer-performer on the same terms and the same pay as all the other guys, I, I'm not interested in that at all. Um, which was quite a big thing for, you know, just some, some kid <laughs> who had, who had you know, nothing on his CD. Being rung up by Andrew Denton, who was one of the biggest stars in Australia, um, to, to just be so blunt and and uh, and reject him like that, um, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't have done that if I'd been in a good place. You know, if I if I'd been feeling good at the time, I, I would have just said, "Oh, that's great! Yes, please." 
um, yes, I'll, I'll go on the retainer and uh, you know, and I'll send in sketches from home and, and you can see what you think of them. Um, so, you know, fortunately, I, I made that kind of blunder of being quite rude and, and frank and he said, okay, uh, well, in that case, I'll, I'll go and uh, pass that on to the rest of the team. And then, um, you know, an hour later, he phoned back and said, uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, okay, you're hired on a full-time basis as a member of the team. Um, so that you know, that was how I how I ended up in there. Um, you know, and, and people often ask for career advice and, and that sort of you know, well, what should I do? How should I get into things? Uh, you know, the, the, I suppose the moral of the story is there's no there's no set way of going about doing it. You know, it's uh, m- most people who end up working as entertainers. It's it's just been a weird series of coincidences and bad decisions. <laughs> well, that's certainly an interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think that's it. You know, hard work is part of it. I mean, I think I think you do need to work hard, um, and uh, we all do work hard on our shows. Uh, and showing up, as Woody Allen says, uh, I think it was Woody Allen. Do, do you, you know this is the kind of thing you'd know, Benjamin? Isn't it? Didn't they say something like ninety nine percent of Success is just showing up. I, I think it is. I, th- I think, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he said that, yeah. It was something like that. I might have mangled the quote and I might have attributed it to the wrong person. But anyway, I think showing up is, is important. Absolutely. So what would you say is the most outrageous thing you've ever done on the show? Oh, gee. On, on our TV shows, you mean? Or yeah, on the TV shows. Yeah, I think on the TV shows, well, much less outrageous, I think, than, than, than what I've done in in live shows because I mean in theatre shows you've got a lot more forgiveness you know you can really push the envelope more audiences are very forgiving about how how rude and, and dark and offensive you can be in a live show because they bought tickets to see you and also the, the atmosphere of a theatre it's like you're all sort of sharing a, a naughty little joke among just among friends uh, whereas on TV, it's you know, it's very exposed, and you, you, you know you kind of have to pull back a bit. Um, I mean, I I don't think on on TV that I've done anything outrageous, but that that's because I, you know I see comedy shows as as pretty unimportant. You know, I mean, I I don't think what I do matters much. It's you know I do, I just create a bit of harmless fluff and diversion that that people can watch for half an hour. And I, I don't think it's, you know, I mean, the media love to make a big deal out of comedians who say the wrong things on comedy shows. Oh, you know, it's like it's the end of the world and you, it's like you're the biggest criminal on the face of the earth because you've, you've made an off-colour joke. Um, I suppose it depends what your point of view is on, on whether off-colour jokes actually matter. But but I, I just don't think they matter. I mean, I think there's there, there are so many bigger things we should be worrying about in the world. And life is so hard and so painful. Why? Why would you spend any time or or effort getting angry about um, about a rude joke? So you know, so I, you know, I don't, I don't think anything I've I've done is particularly outrageous. But I, I can certainly identify that, you know, the kinds of shows that we do. They're a mixture of different sorts of jokes. Some jokes are purely silly. Some jokes are trying to be uh, satirical and trying to make a point. Um, they're usually, you can usually tell which jokes they are because they're the least funny ones. Um, you know, some jokes 
uh, slapstick. Uh, sometimes we've got musical jokes. Sometimes it's about playing a funny clip. Another type of joke is the off-color joke, you know, where you you say something that's socially unacceptable, um, you know, like in the eulogy song, I suppose, or, or, or something like that, uh, or uh, or the the Chris Kenny uh, thing where we photoshopped. Uh, that journalist Chris Kenny to make it look like that he looked like he was having a very intimate experience with a dog. Um, you know, that's an off obviously that's an off color joke. Um, it's it's just one of many types of jokes. It's one of many many arrows that you have in in the quiver, um, and, and it's part of the mix as well. It's part of that. You know, to me, it's part of you want to create a show that has lots of different kinds of jokes in the show. Uh, so that it's not all one note. Mm. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is there's only one kind of joke that the media are interested in reporting on and that and the people are interested in talking about, and that's the off-colour joke. They ignore all your other jokes. So you'd be forgiven for things. I mean, I suppose if you'd never watched any of my staff, you'd probably be forgiven for thinking that the only thing that the chaser ever does is make disgusting, appalling, offensive jokes because that's, that's the only ones that get reported. <laughs> well, but, you know, that's, but really that's only about 1% of what we do. <clears throat> so how do you deal with that controversy that you sometimes cause? It, by ignoring it. Is, you know, the only way to deal with it really is to ignore it, unless, unless you're forced to, you know, unless you have to address it by, uh, you know, I mean... Um, well, it's a standard thing nowadays is the uh, the apology, you know, the, the the entertainer's apology or the celebrity apology. It's part of the news cycle now. Um, nowadays, you know, we don't feel good about the news unless somebody's apologising somewhere. And, uh, you know, you almost you can get online and look up the apology of the day almost. Um, somebody's always, you know, some, some writer or public figure or actor or comedian is always apologising day after day. I think... I think, uh, you know, this week we had Snoop Dogg apologising uh, for being mean to Iggy Azalea. You know, we had um, John Grisham apologising for saying something about pedos. You know, it's, it's non-stop. People are always apologising. Um, and, in you know, in the climate of online outrage, with, where outrage catches on nowadays like wildfire because of social media, um, you know, I suppose that's why people are constantly apologising because, you know... As as the human race, we figured out now that um, being offended is a wonderful pastime. It's quite fun to be offended. It's enormous fun to to hop on social media and post a oh my god, I can't believe that somebody or other said this. This is appalling. I'm going to boycott them. You know, and you get 50 likes for posting that comment. You know, everybody applauds you for being outraged. So so people are getting rewarded for being outraged, and uh, you know, therefore outrage is everywhere constantly now. And, and as a result, um, entertainers like myself have to spend a lot of time apologising. Mm. And you have got in early with this show. You've already issued an apology. Are you planning yeah, to no, offend anyone? Right. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, we issued a, uh, a preemptive apology as our press release for the for the new series, Media Circus. Um, yeah, you know, figuring well, <laughs> you know, we're always apologising. We might as well just apologise before the series, and then it, it's over and done with. Mm. Now, uh, you are back on TV uh, as of last Wednesday with the Chasers Media Circus. So what makes this show different to previous Chaser programs? It's, it's different because we, we bring 
bringing in guests this time. So it's the chase of mucking around and playing games about the news with interesting and funny people. Um, you know, we wanted to really sort of broaden it out and, and, and also bring on young up-and-coming comedians as well, um, you know, so that it's it's not so much of a closed shop um, and getting other voices in there, getting other, other points of view. Um, it's... Uh, and it's also then, therefore, the the most improvised TV show we've ever done. I mean, normally our stuff is very tightly scripted. Um, even when we used to do pranks, um, we used to have a very clear idea before we went out of, of what the offer was and, and the kinds of reactions we, we wanted to get from people. Um, this time around, uh, yeah, we thought you know it might be interesting to... To have some, you know, some games that we build very carefully, uh, but just see what see what the guests do with them. Um, and we we're bringing in a mixture of guests, so we've got both comedians and journalists, proper journalists and experts, and people like that. Um, God, if any of them agree to come on, uh, <laughs> we've managed to get one episode out there with a couple of journalists. Hopefully, there'll be more joining us um, because you know they they can bring an inter- an element of actually bringing in some kind of serious, interesting perspective into our show as well. So, so this time, again, it's not a, a 100% comedy show. It's, it's probably 90%. And, uh, you know, but we want to have that kind of QI type of, uh, or Gruen style, uh, bit of interesting information in there as well, which, which we're hoping to get from, you know, having proper journalists as our guests. Mm. So, and, uh, yeah, it's sort of delving into, and going in a bit more depth than you'd usually find on a news panel show, um, you know, normally there's sort of a lot of one-liners about what the news of the week is. The, the hope for Media Circus is that we'll go into a bit more depth uh, on how the news is made and, and how it's reported and the tricks that journalists play on us. Mm. So being in a new game show kind of format, does it make it harder to maintain? Well, it's been exhausting so far. My gosh. Like, yeah, you know, part, part of the... <laughs> originally, we were thinking, hmm, yeah, maybe it'll be an easier show to make because it'll have improvised segments, you know. There'll be less writing to do. But, but the amount of time you have to spend in the edit suite and the amount of extra time you have to spend thinking about these, how to structure the game so that they kind of are going to work, um, it, it's an extremely time-consuming show, uh, to make, you know, and hopefully that'll that'll show on screen. I mean, I think you know the first episode went, has already been to air, and, and that's, um, I, I you know, I think it kind of gives you a taste of, of what it'll be like. But I think there are a few kinks that we want to iron out, and, and a few a few things that we want to improve. As with any new show, um, they usually take a few episodes to to find their feet and, and figure out what works best. Uh, the things that you know. So I'm, I'm hoping our our dear audience will. Uh, be forgiving and stick with us <laughs> for the first few <laughs> and see how we go there. Absolutely. Now, I mean, one thing you're not lacking is news stories to work with. I mean, have you had a favourite news story from the last few weeks that's really grabbed your attention? Well, I, it's almost like you want to construct the least favourite because at the moment the news is so grim. It's really hard to make a light-hearted comedy show out of such grim news. Um, you know, so... Well, actually, you know, my favourite news stories are <clears throat> ridiculous ones um, that we 
we may not feature much on the show. Well, there, there, there is a chance to, to sometimes throw in the odd quick one. My favourite news story is always odd spots, like like yesterday. Um, the headline the headline said, "Really, who on earth would steal a dog poo bag dispenser?" And that was the headline. I clicked on it to find out the answer. The, the, the answer, according to the article, was a thief. <laughs> the article said, "A thief has stolen a dog poo bag dispenser from a park." You know that that's probably my favourite story of this week, for example. But um, on media circus, we want to be dealing with the bigger stories, so unfortunately, we have to we have to deal with <clears throat> Ebola and uh, trouble in the Middle East, and you know th- th- those kinds of things. You know, and what, what's what's uh, Tony Abbott going to do to Vladimir Putin and those those, those kinds of big big stories, um, which are hard to deal with, some of them, because, you know, as I said, they're so unpleasant. Mm. And how, how do you try and make those slightly more humorous? I mean, Tony Abbott's easy to humorise, but Ebola and ISIS is a little bit harder. It's very hard. The, the only thing you can do is make fun of the, of the coverage, is to, is to find, um, you know, examples of the media uh, covering it in a, in a silly way or in a, in a flawed way and poke fun at, at what they're doing there. Um, you know, you can't, you obviously can't make fun of the reality of the horrors of what, what's actually happening with those stories. So it's all got to be about, you know, about the slip-ups that journalists make when they're in the thick of things, when they're, when they're in a hurry, um, you know, maybe when they're showing silly graphics. I mean, for example, in episode one, we found this extraordinary graphical animation that Channel 7 News had done showing the bombing of Syria, you know, where they'd sort of had, had the newsreader standing over this three-dimensional graphical map of Syria and these giant explosions graphically done on, on the map and you know, these graphical aeroplanes flying in. It was, it was like some sort of Call of Duty game. You know, the, the news is sort of in, in a desperate you know, attempt to retain people's attention has turned itself into a Call of Duty game. I mean, it was extraordinary. I mean, we've got we've got the most jaw-dropping news happening. You know, there's this, there's this war going on, but um, for some reason, news programs don't think war is is interesting enough to to hold people's attention for more than three minutes. So they they have to make, <laughs> they have to make these ridiculous graphics so that people will even keep watching because our attention spans are so limited nowadays. Um, it's a crazy world we live in, isn't it? Gosh, it is absolutely. <laughs> Now, as you mentioned, unlike previous shows, you do have guests joining you. So who are some of the guests we'll be seeing over the course of the series? Oh, we wish I could tell you because we're so disorganised, we're only booking them in at the last minute. Um, the, the hope is that we might have George Negus on this week. Uh, we're definitely having Tom Gleeson as, as our, uh, one of our comedian guests in, the, in this week coming. Um, but for the rest of the series... I honestly have no idea that the politics of inviting, partly to do with the politics of inviting guests as well, because, you know, people are, you're always nervous about whether you should go on a show or not, you know, like, like with your podcast too, Benjamin, you know, I mean, I, I, had, to, I had to listen to your podcast first because you was oh, should I go on the podcast or not go on the podcast? You want to be able to listen, you know, you want to be able to hear the show before you, you know whether to trust you. <laughs> I listened to your podcast and luckily it was awesome. So, oh yeah, I'll go on that. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's the same for our show, like, you know, we sort of say, you know, we put the net out to a few journalists and comedians, oh, we're making this this new show, do you want to be a guest on it? Inevitably, what most people say is, well, it's new, can I please wait until I can see the first episode or two before I tell you, you know, because they don't know whether to trust you. Um, 
So now that the first episode's out, we're, we're more able to invite guests. But um, but anyway, that's a bit of a you know bit of an insight into behind the scenes <laughs> how it works when you invite guests on shows, and and that's why I can't announce a great big roll call of guests because we're only just starting to to try and get hold of them now. Mm. So yeah, hopefully they'll they'll RSVP. I mean, we're on air next Wednesday. But, <laughs> it might be an empty set. <laughs> so, so do you record? How 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 far in advance are you recording the shows? Well, the, yeah, the studio bits get taped the night before. Um, you need that. You need that time to be able to sit in an edit suite and cut out all the bad bits, and you know, just keep the good bits in. It, it, it's a very long process. Um, we stayed up all night uh, last week doing it. I, th- I think we'll probably do the same every week. Uh, and then there are some sketches in the show as well, some packages, which can be made a little bit further ahead. Um, they're mostly written by Chaz and me. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like, you know, silly little examples of funny things we've found in the news that we that we package in a, in a comedy sketch kind of way. Um, we've got a regular one called News School, where I'm a school teacher, you know, teaching journalists how to aim the camera properly at the newsreader, for example, and, and then we show an example of them stuffing up. You know, it's, it's just a good way of showcasing stuff-ups. Mm. Um, so those things you can, you can sort of make a bit further ahead. Uh, although there's still a lot of research involved. Uh, so, you know, we have um, a crack team of, uh, of folks who are logging clips and you know, spending hours and hours watching awful dreadful programs uh, like breakfast shows and that sort of thing <laughs> trying to take note of any anything that's amusing or unusual that we might be able to feature mm. so would you say that this show is a little bit safer than some of the ones you've previously done um it's it's safer to my physical person because i'm not doing pranks anymore you know like i'm not i'm not getting, I'm not getting thrown out by security guards so much nowadays and we we'll still we still might occasionally do one of those kinds of things but uh you know, I think I think the the viewers were getting there was there was a danger that the viewers were going to get sick of those pranks, and and we were getting sick of them as well. So so I think it's safer in that way. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think in I don't think it's safer in any other way though, because um, we're still liable to make those outrageous, controversial, off-color jokes once in a blue moon that that the uh, conservative media get furious about. Um, yeah, because we're still we're still dealing with uh, stuff that's in the news, and uh, and we're still at the mercy of our own dread, dreadful sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, where can our listeners find the show? iView is the is the place. I think ABC iView, uh, and it's on Wednesday nights at eight thirty. If you if you're old fashioned enough to actually watch televisions anymore, I'm not. I got rid of my television useless waste of space um but uh yeah that's where i think each episode might be up for a week or something and 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 they get repeated you know i'm supposed to know when the repeat is on Uh, sorry did i say repeat Uh, the encore screening the encore (laughs) screening i believe they're now called they're not called repeats anymore um you know they're now they're now now audiences are, are baying for an encore um there is an encore on ABC too. On, on, I think it might be on Saturday nights. Mm, that sounds about right. Wednesday night stuff is usually repeated on Saturday night and on ABC too. Yeah, that, I think that's the format. No, Benjamin, please don't say repeated. No, encore. The, the encores are, are appearing on Saturday nights. That's right, encore screenings. <laughs>
So uh, finally, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? It's it's tough. I mean, you know, because it's so random and everybody has their own path. If you if you want to work in entertainment, but the the main thing, I think you need a mixture of of hard work and persistence in the face of rejection and luck. Those those are always the, the three ingredients that I think you need. You can so you you know you can manage the first two of those on your own. <laughs> I think if you you know if you spend a long a lot of time just working on your stuff, that'll help. It's no guarantee, but you also need to persist when people tell you no a lot, and they do. They're constantly telling you no, and they, you know, and even still, you know, I mean, I've I get projects turned down all the time, uh, and I'm sure I always will. Um, yeah, and the third thing, unfortunately, you need is luck, um, which is it's a pain that you need that because that's kind of out of your hands. Um, but that's what I, that's what I would recommend, and it's um, you know it's it's a tough. It's a tough gig in some ways, but uh, I always think it's better than a proper job. Mm. Mm. A lot more fun. It can be. It can be. It's 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 a mixture of of nightmarish horribleness and fun at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, and our listeners can catch Ch- the Chasers Media Circus on ABC One Wednesday nights at eight thirty. That was my chat with Andrew Hanson. Now, since the last episode, I've had the opportunity, thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas, to check out some new released films. Now, the first one for this episode is Son of a Gun. Now, it's an Australian crime thriller, and it is quite intense, exciting, and it does have a great cast. I certainly think this Australian film is worth checking out, and I gave that one four stars. Now, the next film is Before I Go to Sleep, and this film's combination of outstanding performances, a strong story, and looking visually stunning really makes it a great film. And I gave that one four stars as well. And then, uh, even more recently, A Walk Among the Tombstones came out. Now, Liam Neeson stars in a very, very average action film. There's really nothing special about this movie, and if you're a fan of Liam Neeson action movies, you are going to love it. And it's quite gritty and intense, so people wanting a a chill-out kind of action film aren't really going to enjoy this one. And I gave that one three stars. And you can read my full reviews of a whole lot of movies online at PreachersPodcast.net under the Movie Reviews section. Now, also on DVD this month, thanks to Madman Entertainment, is The Trip to Italy. Uh, it's a sequel to the, uh, the Trip, and it stars Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan, and it really is a very, very enjoyable film. Um, I, I think it, it's quite funny, and I mean, I do advise eating before seeing this film, as it's all about food. Um, so it, it's a very enjoyable film. Obviously, there's not a, a great deal of story to it, and, you know, there's there's no kind of challenges or, or normal movie aspects. It's kind of a, a comedy-esque documentary that is scripted. So it, it's very enjoyable, but there's nothing really much more to, to dwell on in that film. And the other film out from Mad Men Entertainment this month is Frank. Now, I did review Frank for the big screen quite a while back, and it's a very, very strange movie. Um, I think it's quite fair to say that it's not your your average film. And I gave that one uh, two and a half stars back then, and I, I do stick to that even on reflection now. Um, it's loosely based on, on true events, and 
the problem with Frank is, like the band it was based on, it didn't quite know what it was doing or where it was going. So, very strange movie, and I'm sure some, fan, uh, some fans of um, sort of strange, slightly humorous films may enjoy that one as well. There are also some great releases out from Roadshow Entertainment, including Edge of Tomorrow, The Rover, Under the Skin, Episodes, and a whole lot more. And I think my pick of uh, of this episode is Edge of Tomorrow. It's a great sci-fi drama uh, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And another great release is Silk, Seasons 1-3. to 3. Now, sadly, the show did wrap up quite recently and it's just finished airing on ABC but uh, the box set does uh, does give you the time to catch up on any episodes you missed and it certainly is very very enjoyable well that's all for today's show but don't forget to check out our supporters Roadshow Entertainment, Madman Entertainment, Palace Nova Cinemas and Mad Zombie Collectibles my guest today was Andrew Hansen and you can catch The Chaser's new show on ABC One Wednesdays at 8.30 I've been your host, Benjamin Man McKay, and see you next month.